Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to the latest edition of 4-6 with A&B. I am back in Columbus, Ohio from recruiting trips, and Landis still doesn't want me at his house. It's probably for the best that you're not here at the moment. Uh, we got some some folks going through some illness over at the the Landis house, so... uh, you're better off. You're better off not being here. It's not a ideal segue for you because you're not feeling well, but obviously there's a major scare and, you know, a pandemic happening right now in the country with the coronavirus and stuff. And Bill has been tested for it and does not have it, but it does have an impact on the team that we cover. And, you know, you've been, um, you had an extensive discussion with Jerry about this, the sports information director. How could this impact um, our coverage of Ohio State, what Ohio State does this spring, their spring schedule, the spring game. Once you bring everybody up to speed on on what you know about that, yeah, Ohio State, uh, the university is moving to online classes um, basically wherever it can until March 30th. And in the email they sent out on Monday night, uh, basically it said like if you're holding events through April 20th and they're not necessary, like don't have them. So uh, it's not uh, unique to Ohio State. I think that's happening a lot of places around the country. It will continue to happen as far as it pertains to the football side of things. Uh, right now, as we speak on, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, Ohio State is proceeding as normal with its spring uh, practice schedule. They're on spring break right now. They'll be back next Tuesday for what will be their fourth practice of the spring. Uh, in terms of the media availability that comes with that, uh, for right now, it's all still as it was laid out to us before spring started. That obviously can change. I'm sure a lot of people saw that all the pro sports leagues aren't letting uh, media in the locker rooms uh, for the time being as as uh, 
people work through this. Um, our setup is not quite the same as that. We're not in the locker room. We just talk to people on the field. So it's a little different, but it's all close quarters. And I get it. It could change the, the, the media setup for us. But, but as we talk right now, nothing has been decided. And I, I guess on some level that could put the spring game in question, the spring game set for April 11th uh, in Ohio Stadium. As it stands right now, also that's still scheduled to go on, but uh, that could potentially change. Uh, we're not telling you that it's going to, but I think we just wanted to put it in people's minds as as entities as large as Ohio State and sports programs around the country try to figure out the best way to deal with this. Some of these things could become casualties of that, but for right now, everything with Ohio State football and spring practice is proceeding as normal. And I saw that some of the schools in the Pacific Northwest, or some of the states in the Pacific Northwest. Um, are just banning any gatherings or, or Northern California too of more than a thousand people. Um, so like, as you start to see things become uh, more preventative and, and, and measures being taken, I think it's important to understand that it's probably fair to expect that most of the, the schools and the large events and in, in the States and the rest of the country are going to follow suit. So it's just kind of an interesting thing to track right now. Obviously the hope is that, you know, they get this under control and it doesn't continue to, infect people and, and cause a scare in the country. But, you know, I do think that it's gotten to the point now where it's pretty uh, clear that it's going to have an impact on some of these sporting events. I'd be, you're about to cover the NCAA tournament. I'm very, mm-hmm. very curious how that's going to, you know, pan out for, you know, a, you know, the fans in the stadium, but you know, how much money is at stake uh, for all these cities that get the NCAA tournament bids for all the fans that are supposed to come and, you know, go to the businesses. And it's just a pretty interesting thing to track right now. That's the one thing about it. It's like I'm sure people have seen um, a lot of professional sports writers sort of lamenting the idea that locker rooms aren't open, and I, and I get that. Like we covering college, we don't really live in that world, but we do live in that world once we get to postseason play. The Big Ten tournament starts this week. I'll be in Indianapolis on Thursday, and after those games, the locker rooms are open. The NCAA tournament, the locker rooms are open uh, the day before the game and after the game. And uh, so far, nothing has changed in regards to that. It might change. Um, before all that stuff happens and you know it's not i'm not going to complain about it because there are more important things in the world but it does change the way the way we cover the event but you know i think it's a small sacrifice to make in the name of everyone's health i think no one wants to get sick so if that's what it comes to that's what it comes to they'll still play the games um whether or not they'll be in front of people is another story especially in some of the places where the tournament is, is slated to happen this year but but nothing drastic in regards to the NCAA tournament or big 10 tournament um has has happened so far I think the two sports with the best access to the media are the NBA and the Major League Baseball, right? Because they allow pregame access to the locker rooms and postgame mm-hmm. access. Yeah, I think hockey just, does too. Oh, hockey does too. And it's just like, well, you can't go in the locker room. Well, we've been covering Ohio State for 10 and 5 years, and I think combined we've been in the locker room 10, 15 times, right? If that, yeah. So Basically twice a year. Um, but, of course, like you said, there's more important things in life um, than sports coverage and not a lot of things, but I think the health of the planet's one of them. It's like four so, things, yeah. Yeah, uh, pizza, the health of the uh, the health of the planet, family, and God in some Bob cases, Seager, and maybe. then and then sports access and reporter access to locker rooms. Um, but while Ohio State's on spring break right now, Bill, uh, we thought it was a good time to discuss something that everybody wants to talk about, and that's the early enrollees at Ohio State and going down the list one through fourteen and kind of giving immediate expectations for what we think of these players right now before Ohio State resumes practice next week and maybe one bold prediction for their future. Um, And I made a list 
Bill, help me with this list. And I think we're just ready to go. You want to go right into it? Do you want to tell the fine people uh, where they can read our coverage and uh, maybe uh, shill for some podcast reviews first? Yeah, sure. I was going to wait till like the 15-minute mark, but, you know, it's never too soon for this. We need those five stars, man. We need them. Yeah, we do need them. Uh, so you are listening to 4 to 6 with A and B. Um, I am here with my wonderful co-host, Bill Landis. Uh, we cover Ohio State football for The Athletic. Um, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever it is, please make sure, if you can, to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And, of course, the number one thing that we want you to do is consider joining The Athletic to read our wonderful coverage of the Ohio State football program. And if you're listening to this podcast, which you clearly are, you can go to www.theathletic.com slash 4-6 and get 40% off. Hey, do you want to give... Uh... You want to give people a little teaser on some of the other stuff you've been working on lately? The, the non-Ohio State stuff? Even though this is an Ohio State podcast? You know, it's an Ohio State podcast, but during the offseason I've been given the green light to um, do some national recruiting stuff. And I was in North Carolina, wrote a story about Mac Brown and what they're doing in the city of North Carolina. I wrote about the Kentucky, uh, calling them the Big Ten killer um, for how they recruit Ohio and just trying to do some of this national recruiting stuff and so far, a lot of people have seemed to like it. The numbers have been good. People have been signing up. And, you know, if you're just into general recruiting um, and you like my work, which hopefully you do, um, go check out the college football main page because you might miss stuff that I'm writing because it's not Ohio State related, but I still think it's interesting. What do you think of it, Bill? I like I, I find roster building fascinating conversation. And I know that some people, some of the college recruiting coverage can be a little strange when you're like calling up a 15 year old and saying like, Hey, what are your top 15 schools? But like, I get that's part of the game too. But I think some of the stuff you're doing really examining how these programs around the country are building their rosters is, is interesting. And I think, you know, I, I'm in the Ohio state bubble because I cover Ohio state, but I always think it's good to get a broader perspective and see how other programs are doing things and kind of compare that to, Ohio, to how Ohio state does it. And I think that's what you're giving people right now with this stuff. So I think it's cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And what, what I find is interesting is that, you know, we cover Ohio State, and being in the Ohio State bubble in terms of expectation, I think has kind of changed my general viewpoint of, like, what normality is in the sport. And it's like, as we're getting ready to talk about a early enrollee class of 14 guys that all would have been the best player in 90% of the other classes in the country, it kind of skews your expectation of what people expect. Um, so, like, going into these other, other places and talking to coaches that aren't at, at places like Ohio State, watching how they, they decide to attack their recruiting territory, how they plan to put their teams together, what general expectations for the type of players they're getting. Um, you know, sitting in, in Mac Brown's office last week, you're, you're talking about the idea that Clemson can come into your state and take a player. And like in my 10 years covering college football before this, I've never heard a coach say it's okay if somebody comes into your state and takes a player. But it's just a kind of a, rem- a reminder for Ohio State fans, just how well they've recruited and like how amazing, frankly, that their talent accumulation has been over the years. Did you and Mac Brown talk about Urban? We didn't. They're good buddies. They are. And he had a picture of Jim Trussell on uh, on the wall, and we didn't talk about that either. Which Was I kind of regret Trussell because like, they're pretty close. to all the politicians? Yeah, well, I had a, a line in my story. Um, 
about how there was a museum kind of in the back of Mac Brown's office and that that museum had pictures of two presidents was with Barack Obama and George Bush, uh, George W. Bush. And I like wrote into the story, he had pictures with past presidents and a senator um, referring to Trestle. And then I put his name in parentheses, but it got edited out. Yeah. That's like a, that's like an Ohio, that's a, that's a line for an Ohio state fan. I don't know if anybody else outside of uh, Columbus might get You don't that. think, I don't know. Do Ohio, do non-Ohio state fans know that Trestle was the senator? I don't know. I think I would like. I didn't grow up here, and I like. I knew that he was a senator, but I don't know. I mean, I put his name in parentheses. It's good writing, though. It's good writing, even if it didn't make it in. It got removed, um, but you know, Mac Brown is somebody that was really impressive, and you know, just kind of brings back perspective as you go and see other places what Ohio State's doing, and I, I know that the Ohio State brand reaches out to all edges of the earth and. It's a big place with a big stadium and a huge alumni base. But it is crazy to me how my mind might have been skewed in terms of just realizing how impressive this place has been. Did you get any Jordans? I almost uh, ran out of the... I went into the Nike room at North Carolina. Into the Nike room. Oh, wait. We're talking about the wrong thing here. We're talking about the wrong thing here. Forget all this UNC football crap. You went to cookout... I did go to cookout. All right. Hit me with what are the takes? What did you think? Thought it was fine. You know, you pay $5 and they just put a bunch of stuff in there and then you eat it and it's all right. I like that the hot dog was actually um, grilled and it was like a fast food place, but like the food that I ended up getting, the burger and the hot dog, um, was actually grilled and it tasted actually like a cookout, which I think it tasted like someone cooked it at their house, right? Right, it tasted yeah. exactly like what the the restaurant is called, and like I thought the driving drive through mechanism was very weird. Did they have that at the location that you went to, where you pull up, um, and there's two driving lanes, and but there's they're left and right of each other, and then like you have to like take a left in front of the car next to you to get to the other yeah. window. Yes, I thought that I, I was I like, what yeah. am I? Like, I took me a minute to like realize, like, what am I doing here? Um, but I do think that for the price point and the way that the food tasted that it would be a lovely addition in, in the Midwest. I think people would go there. Yeah, I panicked ordered when I went, and I got like a spicy chicken sandwich. It was, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning after Ohio State played UNC in basketball earlier this year. And I got a spicy chicken sandwich and uh, fries, and then I was told uh, after the fact that I that I screwed up. So what did you, what was your order? You got a burger and a So dog. I'm watching carbohydrates right now nice. uh, during my off-season weight loss regimen. So I got a hamburger and a hot dog. Cause I was in a pinch cause I had a meeting, um, starting pretty soon. And, um, I only had a few minutes and that was like the best place. And I like ordered a hamburger and like, instead of going to a fast food place and I, I went to this place because I remember you told me it tastes like somebody cooked it in their backyard. So instead of like going to McDonald's and just eating like a quarter pounder with cheese patty, which is probably still terrible for you, even if you're trying to cut carbs, I thought I'll go to this place that actually cooks it on the grill. And I thought the, the hamburger was pretty good for a fast food burger. And, like, that taste of, like, 4th of July with Dad on the grill in the backyard, like, actually is, like, a nice taste. Yeah, and they and gave it, they weird, gave it to you like in the plastic bag that said, thank you, across it, like, it's, like, yeah, the third uh, eight times, yeah. and it's just, like, you open up a tin, and, like, everything that you ordered is just in the same tin. Yeah. It's, like, it's like basically a 4th of July barbecue plate. Yep. And it was, like, $4. That's the best part. It's so cheap. Um, I was unaware of this being a, a thing until you told me about it. So when I drove by it, 
And I noticed it. I was like, that's the place that Bill was telling me about. I think they're only in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they go down into Florida. But somebody, yeah, I, didn't I was in, the, yeah, I was in Myrtle Beach like a year ago or two years ago, I guess. And that was the first time I saw it. And I was like, what is this place? And I looked it up. And it's like, it's got like a pretty big cult following down there, I think. But it doesn't, it's not up here. I didn't realize the, um, extensive nature of how big it is down there. There's like one on every corner. Yeah. It'll come here eventually. Everything comes at Columbus. All right. Let's talk about football. I wish that my national, my national beat role was analyzing restaurants across America and not recruiting strategies. That's Andy's job. Like you said, there's hierarchies of great things in every, uh, that's Andy's job. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Ohio state football. Um, so we're going to go down the list in order of position group. We put the position groups together, um, and we're going to rightfully, I think, start with wide receiver because that's the most interesting. Uh, and like I said, Bill, let's, let's, let's do initial thought process of like what we think is possible for them this year. And then one long-term goal. So number one, Julian Fleming, and then what, why don't we go every other? So you could go first and then I'll answer and then I'll go first for the next one. Okay. So Fleming, um, I wrote this this uh, seventy six thoughts thing that I think we might have mentioned last week. Basically, wrote a, a thought on every player, uh, scholarship player on the roster for the spring. And, and the thing that I read about Fleming was I, I, I'm a little cautious with him because he uh, he's the first top five national prospect to come from high school to Ohio State since Noah Spence. Um, no one else was ranked that high. Justin Fields was ranked that high, but obviously he transferred from Georgia. So, like for as well as Ohio State has recruited. A guy of Julian Fleming's caliber showing up here is still kind of a, a rare occurrence. Um, at least it has been. Maybe that'll change moving forward. Jack Sawyer will be here next year. Um, but because of that, it, it, it gives me pause a little bit that people might be expecting a little too much out of him so early. But then I thought to myself, well, he was the best receiver prospect in the country coming out of high school while playing at a school, Southern Columbia in Pennsylvania, that like runs a wing T offense, which is crazy when you think about it. Like he broke all the Pennsylvania State receiving records, became this like prototype receiver prospect while playing in an offense that runs the ball a ton and does it really well. They've I think they've lost like one game in the last five years. Um, so like under that guy's, I'm like, well, no, he's gonna be really good right away when he gets here. And then we saw him on the field on last Monday for the first spring practice, and you're like, yep. That's what a guy who has that kind of pedigree is supposed to look like. And it's not that he was jumping over everybody um, and making every every catch, but like he just looked like he belonged and he looked very, very fluid and he's super explosive. I think all that is evident right away. So um, I am not going to heed my own advice. I'm going to go all in on Julian Fleming um, from the start. Uh, I think he's going to be very good very early now. What exactly does that look like? I think Garrett Wilson caught, what, like 30 balls last year? Um, I think maybe something like that initially, but long-term. You know, he's only going to be here for three years, but I think he is, because of his size, his combination of athleticism, where I think the offense is going with Ryan Day and these quarterbacks are having, I don't think it's crazy to think that, like, Julian Fleming is the number one receiver prospect coming out of high school, and he could be the number one receiver prospect coming out of college three years down the road. So is that your bold prediction next? My bold prediction, yeah. Okay. How bold do we want to get with these? Like, if I say I think Julian Fleming is going to be the first receiver drafted in the twenty, was that twenty twenty? It's pretty bold. NFL draft is that like is that too bold? Is that getting too far ahead or That's, or what? I mean, it doesn't have to be bold. I guess bold is always just like a a headline thing. I think 
but just like a, a, a prediction of like what you think this is going to look like long term. So if you think he's going to be the first player drafted in the 2023 draft, I think that's as bold as you could possibly get. Yeah, let's do that. Let's start off with a bank. But I also think that it's rational because that's where he's that's ranked. ranked there. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's my long term goal. He's the he's the first receiver drafted three years from now. Yeah, this is going to get very interesting as we go down the list of four receivers. But it's funny because, like, I was really high on Julian Fleming, like, during, like, the December signing period. And then I think that you kind of talked me out of it with the wing tee, and now I feel the way that you used to feel. Because Ohio State has a lot of receivers, right, that are coming in, and it's just like, how much of a difference is there between the number three national player in the country and the number 28 national player in the country and how much difference is there in the recruiting rankings between the number one receiver and the number five receiver? Like, do you think it's drastic? Because, like, I, I think that sometimes people just don't know how to read recruiting rankings, but sometimes I do think it's generally confusing of, like, how much of a gap you, you think that there should be or there is. Because it's like, to me, Julian Fleming, I, I could get behind you and say, yeah, he's going to be a number one receiver drafted in the 2023 NFL draft because that's exactly what his national ranking on 24-7 sports indicates. And I, and I don't think that's wrong. But whether or not I think that he's going to be the first receiver on the field for Ohio State this year from the freshman group, I don't know that I, I think that's going to be the case. I think that what you wrote in your thoughts, uh, what was it, 76 mm-hmm. thoughts? About Jackson Smith and the Jigbo, which is, I guess we can bleed into the next one, is you know his versatility and his, his size, but also his um, ability to play inside and outside is going to give him a, a, a faster track. Um, so, like, I guess I'm going to bleed into the next one, um, and I'll give you my bold prediction for Julian Fleming, um, and that is also that he'll be a first-round draft pick because I do think that he will with his uh, coming into Ohio State six foot two, uh, two hundred pounds of the records he broke, uh, his agility, his uh, you know I don't need to go down to the list of everything that he does well, but he's the most complete receiver Ohio State signed since well um, Garrett Wilson. Um, but going into the next one now, Jackson Smith and the Jigba. I think that he's going to be the leader in receptions um, for the for the um, receivers in 2020. Um, I just the numbers that he put up in Texas, the system that he played in in high school. I don't think that there's a huge gap between the number three receiver and the number 28 receiver. Um, they are similarly sized, and I just I have, I've had a feeling about him, and um, I do think that 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 would be my pick. Um, so my prediction for him would be leading receiver for Ohio State for the next two years. That's my bold prediction, and I think he's going to be the leading freshman receiver this year too. So can I kind of fold them into the same thing, kind of? Leading freshman receiver this year and then the leading receiver overall the next two years after that? Is that what you're saying? Sorry, leading receiver freshman year. Leading freshman receiver this coming year leading receiver from this group in two years. I think Garrett Wilson will be the leading receiver on Ohio State's football team in 2021. But I think Jackson Smith and the Jigbo will be the leading receiver from this group. Um, and I and that's me saying that I think he's going to be the fastest one to start him out of the four they signed in the 2020 class. I, I can get on board with that. Um, the The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause with, with Smith and Jigbo, because I, I, I believe what I wrote and that he's pretty versatile and and that's going to get him on the field right away and maybe gives him the best chance of, of all these young guys. But 
I think he's best utilized in the slot. And like if Garrett Wilson is going to hold down that slot receiver spot, which I think might happen, I, Garrett can play all over the place, so I don't think he'll be there on every single play. But man, like the more I think about it, I just I like the idea of Garrett Wilson in the slot is crazy. Like he could. We didn't saw how good KJ Hill and Paris Campbell were in the slot in this offense. Like Garrett Wilson has the potential to be like more explosive and better than both. Like he like he's like the combination of like the best of both those guys. He's not quite as fast as Paris, um, but he's faster than KJ, I think. And like the idea of of combining sort of those two skill sets together into one guy is frightening. If if I'm if I'm someone who has to plan against Ohio State and like I just don't see a scenario where Garrett Wilson doesn't thrive in the slot. And if that happens, then I wonder if he blocks Smith and Jigba a little bit. Not in like a significant way where we never see Smith and Jigba, but just in a way that it's like you see flashes of him, but he's not really in a position to be the leading receiver among all of these young guys because Garrett Wilson's so good. And you were salivating over Garrett Wilson. Yeah, like you salivated over Garrett Wilson all of last year. Now I'm I'm on board. I'm I'm with you. If he's gonna play in the slot, I'm there. Yeah, I I, I think that it's just like really difficult as we move on to to G Scott Jr. Um, I thought that if a freshman receiver was ever going to be a my, a major prime focus in Ohio State's offense, that Garrett Wilson was it. Like I don't know. We aren't expert talent evaluators um, all the time, but you know we watch these kids in camp, and I watched. G. Skid at the G. Scott at the opening, and we saw Garrett Wilson at the opening the year before, and like Garrett Wilson was the most complete receiver I've seen sign at Ohio State. So like now, looking at what he did his freshman year, maybe part of the reason is because there were a few seniors on the roster that kind of blocked him from getting on the field, and now there's kind of an open route to the field for these young guys. But it's just like, what is the expectation for a freshman receiver in Ohio State's offense? Does that increase to you now that? Um, Ohio State's gone past first with uh, Justin Fields, and now they're going into their second year. Ryan Day's in the second year. Like, the running back concerns, like, do you think that the, that opens up the door for more catches for these freshmen? A little bit, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to look like it looked um, two years ago quite on that level. Two years ago, it was like basically like a 50-50 split run and pass. Last year, it was like 62, I think 62% run last year. Um, and I think this offense will land somewhere in the middle. Um, but that does open up more passing opportunities or reception opportunities, I guess, for these young guys. So I think the available catches this year and probably moving forward, unless they get a crazy dynamic running back, which is also possible, um, is, is elevated a little bit than it was last year. Yeah, I'm just looking at these rankings again, Bill. It's pretty crazy what Heartline did. I mean, like, I, I know that this sounds like a... Puff thought, but man, three top receivers in the top 65 players nationally, three of the top 10. It's like, how are you supposed to pick between these two? But I saw G. Scott last July at the opening, and like it was like, why is this kid not a, four, a five-star prospect? And that was kind of like the story angle I went, because I was blown away by his ability and his um, skill set and just the plays he made, and he was dominating top-of-the-line um, defensive backs, and like, it's like, this is just another guy who's the biggest of the three, I think, six foot three, two 210 pounds. They're all, real, <clears throat> excuse me, they're all really good. I, I honestly, it's like hard for me to decipher. When you get to the third one, like, what do you say about him? 
So, like, I'll let you start, and then maybe that'll trigger something for me. When you get to the third one, it's really hard to talk about, so why don't you do it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it is... I'm the, it I'm is, the host. I'm the star of the show. Okay? <laughs> I'm the star of the show, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree. It's, it's just hard. It's like, you can't... I, mean, I don't think we can just sit here and realistically just be like, they're all going to be great, at least, or at least early on. I think, you know, over time they will be. Um, I, I don't... I guess what I said about Julian Fleming, like, I can't say the same thing about G. Scott, like, I think there has to be some kind of gap if I'm going to predict that, that Fleming is going to be as good as I think he's going to be right away. Um, there is an opening on the outside. Like, if Wilson stays in the slot, then on the outside, like, the only real known commodity on the outside is Chris Olave. And obviously, he's going to play a ton. And then you have Jalen Harris, who uh, is having a good or a good start this spring. Kevin Wilson said it was, like, the best winter that Jalen Harris has had. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe Jalen Harris can make a move here and become a starter really when no one's expecting him to be, and then obviously impacts G. Scott's prospects for year one. So G. G Scott, to me, like looks like a million bucks like all these guys do. Um, I, I think at the moment my lean on him is like maybe not a ton the first year, um, and then like kind of explodes in year two when Chris Olave is gone, and maybe like Garrett Wilson is pretty firmly entrenched in the slot, and then like you're starting outside receivers in 2021 are Julian Fleming and G Scott. And then it's like, Oh man, where'd G Scott come from? So maybe I'll say like, uh, like long-term, uh, he'll have, he'll have fewer than 20 catches this year. And then he'll double whatever that reception total was in year two. Yeah. I think that's, that's totally rational. Bill, let me ask you this. Do you think it's possible that the leading receivers, the top leading uh, receivers, top six are um, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and the four freshmen? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, at least among the receivers, yeah. Maybe like a tight end would sneak in to be like the fourth or fifth leading receiver, but yeah, for sure. Because like if that's the case, then like all four of them, I, I think, and it may be, maybe not Mookie Cooper right away because I think that his size is um, going to have an impact, but like it's possible to me that like the leading receivers are one, Chris Olave, two, Garrett Wilson, three, Julian Fleming, four, Jackson Smith, Najigba, and five, G. Scott. And, like, if that happens, then it's just like, well, everything we just said is just, they're all kind of good. And, like, I don't know if there's ever been three freshmen in the history of Ohio State football to be in the top five of the of the receptions or yardage. Um, I can't imagine. Like, And I think that that's within the realm of possibility. Um, to me, I think that... Um, I've got a pretty crazy prediction right now. And I think you're going to think I'm nuts. But I think it's possible because of G. Scott's size and um, just his his pure, just natural ability that he is the highest drafted receiver out of this um, freshman group, even more so than Najigba and Fleming, even if he doesn't have the fastest start. So I agree with you in the sense that he is might not be the first guy on the field um, when it comes to the rotation his freshman year, but I think by the time his career is over, he'll be the best one out of all of them. I can get on board with that. Yeah. You, but you still think he's a, you think he's a three-year guy or a four-year guy? Like in that projection, is it three years on the road or four years on the road? It's hard for me to like ever predict that somebody in the top 65 of the recruiting rankings is a, is a four-year guy. So I'll say three, but I think it, out of the three, how many do you think would be a four, a four-year guy? One or one or two? Or none of them, or all of them? Uh, probably two of them, I would say. 
Because you never, you never know what's going to happen. Like, Mookie Cooper could be buried a little bit in his career. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, if Julian Fleming is, like, awesome from the jump and Chris Olave is obviously here for one more year and he's awesome. And G. Scott just doesn't get a ton of opportunity his first year. And maybe over the next two years, it's like, he's pretty good, but he's still, like, Fleming is, like, the star of the show. Like, and G. Scott was around for a fourth year, and then, like, in that fourth year, he was the man. Um, and then got drafted in the first round. I think that's on the table, but, you know, it's impossible to yeah. say. Yeah, I mean, things happen, you know, injuries happen, setbacks happen, you know, off the field stuff. Like, not that anything like that would happen, but to project four years down the road with a roster, as we found out, it's a pretty impossible thing to do. But the one thing I will mm-hmm. say in terms of a distinction is these guys are all like mega famous, big time, four or five star prospects. And like Ohio State had Michael Thomas and they had some guys who were really heavily ranked. Um, at the receiver position, but this is like the biggest breakthrough, not only at the receiver position for all of them being in the same class as well. So I do think that there's, there should be like outside of Garrett Wilson, like I think there should be a different way of thinking about it. And like, if you see what Garrett Wilson did, he caught a crazy pass on the first drive of the college football playoff as a true freshman. I think that's more of the bar that we're looking at for these guys more so than just like, well, they're going to redshirt. Because I think it's a completely different ball game at that position right now, and there's a lot of opportunity there. I agree. What do you think about Mookie? Um, I was very interested. I I think that he is not going to have a big um impact this year, and it's nothing to do with him. But he hadn't played football for a year, um, because of some eligibility transfer situation out in St. Louis, and you know he's five foot eight and a half, 190 pounds, and I know that he in his mind thinks he's ready to go and maybe he is and I'll be completely wrong. But I, I do think that in a world where they're playing Wilson in the slot, um, if anybody's going to get blocked from the field more so than Jackson Smith, the jig, I think it's going to be him. And I think he's going to use a year of development at Ohio state to, to get his body right. I think guys who are of that stature need to get, you know, a little bit physically thicker than other guys just because of the size of their body. And I don't know that necessarily Ohio State's in a deep need to find a true slot receiver that is kind of like in that Dontre Wilson mold. And maybe I'm like putting him into a weird position because of his height and, you know, just kind of like unfairly comparing him to a guy like Dontre Wilson. But I do think that like Ohio State's going to want to develop him and, and, and get him right before he has a chance to be the first like true H-back the way that we viewed it when Urban Meyer got hired um, in this offense. I don't. I don't think he'll. Yeah, I, I, he's going to open up some stuff for the offense. I think this year, like situationally, um, I don't. I don't believe that he'll. I think Wilson and Smith and Jigba will be in front of him in the pecking order in the slot, and like C.J. Saunders is still trying to get a sixth year, and I suppose we would have to include him in that conversation too if he did get that sixth year. Um, I just don't know if there's a lot of opportunity for Mookie Cooper to get on the field consistently as a receiver, but I do think we'll see him some, and I think we'll see flashes, and I think we'll see jet sweeps and pop passes and all that stuff, and and it'll look like how they were using, you know, Paris Campbell and Dontre, like you said, back in the day. Uh, what I do think Mookie will do this year is uh, get involved in the return game. I think that's how you get a guy, keep a guy like that engaged. Um, I think he can be dangerous in that role, and uh, my bold prediction, or whatever the hell we're calling it, is that... Uh, he will return a punt for a touchdown in the week this year, and it'll be the first time Ohio State's done that since 2014. 
my bold prediction is that he's going to be better than Percy Harvin in the long run. Uh, yeah, I'm not there with you. Yeah. I'm joking, Bill. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna jump down my throat. Were you like, "Oh, what's this guy doing?" <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't think you were serious. Oh, uh, you didn't? I thought you were like trying to process me being serious about it. No, I don't think uh, a lot of people are gonna be better than Percy Harvin because he was one of the best players in the history of the sport. But I do think that there is a chance that you know, with his skill set being a top 100 player nationally, my outrageous prediction is is that. With Mookie Cooper, when he's completely developed, he is going to bring back the version of the H that we all envisioned back when Urban Meyer first got hired, when he was telling every recruit in America that he could be the next Percy Harvin at Ohio State. And, um, you know, that hasn't really manifested, and I think part of that is because of the skill set of the players that were in that position, and Duntre Wilson not really panning out because of injury. And, you know, but I, I do think that he is good enough and has the stature to be like an interesting. Um, threat in multiple ways in this offense and like, you know, maybe be the closest thing to Curtis Samuel that they had at Ohio State in the past seven years. Does that make sense to you? Sort of. I don't I don't think he'll be like in the backfield like Curtis was, but Yeah, I don't know if he has the body to, to take a handoff. He's 5'10", 195, which is pretty sturdy. It's not, it's probably about the J.K. Dobbins was a little bulkier, like 215, I think. But I just don't know if that's his his skill set, um, but sweeps and all that stuff, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then maybe downfield a little bit too. Okay, so now we're going to the uh, best part of the podcast in Bill Landis land, and that's to the offensive line. The fifth person on our list is Paris Johnson. I think Paris Johnson is going to be better than Orlando Pace. I'm just kidding. Um, Me too. It's like, it's kind of... Oh, you were joking? I was joking. It's interesting, like, it almost feels, like, it feels ridiculous to even mention the two in the same sentence, but I also find it interesting that, like, Parrish Johnson takes that on, even if it is, like, a little off the wall because Orlando Pace, like, might be the best offensive lineman ever. Um, it's it's interesting that Parrish Johnson's like, yeah, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. I've talked to him, like, that's who I want to emulate and be and, like, bring on all those comparisons. I welcome them. And uh, I think that's an interesting sort of mindset for a freshman coming in right away in, in a pretty big spot. I think they're going to give him the opportunity to show that he should be a starter as a freshman. Ultimately, I don't think he's going to be one. Um, I, I Right now, I think I'd pick Nick petit Frere to win that starting right tackle job. And Thayer Mufford's obviously the left tackle. And I don't know, like, in the, in the quest to find the best five and maybe you do some shuffling, I still don't think that gets Paris Johnson on the field. But... Um, he'll be in a two deep. I think he'll play a lot. Um, and then he'll start for two years after Thayer leaves and then he'll go be a top 10 draft pick. Yeah. And I think people really think that if you're not the starting left tackle or the right tackle that you don't play and like Ohio state's in a position where I think he's going to get to play quite a bit. And, um, I don't think he's going to be the starter either. I don't think Ohio state wants to live in a world where they have a freshman starting a tackle. Um, even if that freshman is a freak like this, like this guy, um, because he is the most complete offensive lineman that Ohio State would have signed um, in the Urban Meyer era. Um, and going into the Ryan Day era, when you look at just his actual recruiting ranking, I mean, he's in the top 10 prospect, number one player at his position, number one player in the state. So um, I don't know what kind of shuffling could actually even happen. Like, what would you do? Move one of the tackles to guard? Like, I, I can't even envision, like, what, like, so, like, 
does Nicholas Petit Freire have a, a, a the body to play a guard? And like, I guess like, I mean, Brandon Bowen played guard at six seven. So I mean, I guess if they if they want to get if Paris Johnson turns out to be anything close to Orlando Pace, I think he has to start. <laughs> um, and you know, you take on those comparisons, and I think it's fun to say it behind a table uh, at a media day, but I don't know how much application there really is to that. Um, because Orlando Pace was like the best offensive lineman in the history of the sport. Um, but I, I think like if he turns out to be anything remotely close to that, um, and based on his recruiting ranking, he's supposed to be in that category, not Orlando Pace category, but NFL draft pick category. I do think the idea of moving a person out of their natural position so that he could play his makes sense. It's just a matter of they're so like they're they're so set. Like Josh Myers is a starting center, Wyatt Davis is a starting right guard, Thayer Mumford is a starting left tackle. Like Harry Miller is going to have every opportunity in the world to be the starting left guard, and then the only open position battle is right tackle. And I don't like Harry Miller is also very highly rated and and super smart for everything we hear. So I just don't even if you wanted to play that game, like who can we move around and get Paris on the field as a freshman if he like I don't know how that happens other than him just flat out beating Nick Petit for the starting right tackle job. Yeah. Which I think is probably more simple than just putting Petit in in a guard spot and then moving Harry Miller off, which makes no sense if we're going by rankings. What, uh, what percentage chance do you give Paris Johnson of being a starter as a freshman? 10%. You know what? Yeah. 30%. 30. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would do. Yeah. I'd be like in the twenties probably. I'd be closer to I do. I do think that we all forget that Petit Friere was the number one rated tackle in the 18 class. So, like, this guy's got star power, too. But I do think that when you're in a position, um, looking back at what happened with the Bowen um, battle last year and the fact that he lost it, it does kind of give you pause the idea of, like, is this guy what we thought he was? And I'm not saying that he's not, but, like, the idea that somebody in that position could have lost a starting job, you know, makes you wonder, you know, is he, does he have it? Maybe he was misrated. And, and um, so I don't want to say he's got 90% chance. So I'll give him a 70% chance. Cause I do think that the coaching staff wants him to win it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. My bold prediction for Paris for Paris would be that he is the first offensive lineman drafted in a top 10 pick in the 2023 draft. I'm there. Yeah. You know what I love about him? And like, I didn't write about this, but like, if you go watch his highlight tape, like he's like pancaking people and then getting up and like dancing Michael Jackson moves. Yeah. And like talking trash. And like, I think that like he, as much as we talk about how good he can be, I think part of the reason why um, he wants this, these comparisons and stuff is because I think he wants to change the, the way that we watch offensive linemen. Like, he always jokes, like, the skill position players are the ones having the most fun, and why can't offensive linemen just be fun to watch? So I'm very interested to see that when and he gets on the field, whether or not this behavior from high school carries over. Because I think he might have star power that most offensive linemen don't have. And I think it starts with talking the way that he talks and comparing himself to the people that he compares himself to. Like, there's a charisma there that I think is going to go hand-in-hand hand with a potential fun attitude to watch from an offensive lineman. You knock somebody over, then why not dance the same way somebody does when they score a touchdown? Especially if that block is what springs the touchdown. Yeah, I think we all like we all like to watch guys who look like they're having fun, right? And he looks like he's having a blast when he's out there. Now, it's different. He's not 
Well, I'm assuming it'll be different when he finally gets out there against college players. Maybe it won't be. But I hope he does bring some of that. That's part of the thing. It's, it's a thing that we all do, like, as sports writers. Like, if a guy is charismatic and sort of, like, speaks very candidly and directly, like, we all fall in love with him and think he's going to be great. Um, doesn't always pan out that way. So there's some of that happening with Paris Johnson, but you also watch his highlight tape, and it sort of it, it backs it up. So I, I'm on board with, with everything you said, and, you know, I think it's not – I don't think it's open and shut that Nick Petit's starting right tackle next year. I think it's one of the more exciting things to track in the spring. Now, Bill, moving on to the next one, um, is a position that we're not usually put in in terms of um, rankings and, and predicting the future, but Trey LaRue from Norwalk, Ohio, you went there, so I'll let you carry the bulk of this conversation, but he's a three-star prospect, but he is the number 91 offensive tackle, and he's not rated nationally in the top 1,000. Yes, like this is not somebody that's typically in an Ohio State class in terms of he, I think it's fair to say, would not be on this roster if Urban Meyer was still the head coach. I just don't think they would have taken him. Now, that's not to say that Ryan Day made a mistake in taking him. I just think it's interesting that like Ryan Day made this uh, – the other thing that every coach does when he gets a new job is like, we're going to recruit the state that we're in. And so far, he stayed true to that word to the point where he's taking these developmental guys even earlier – than, than Urban Meyer ever would have. Like I don't, I don't think Trey Larue would have ever gotten an offer if Urban Meyer was the head coach at Ohio State. And that's not, that's not right or wrong. I just think that's the way they operate. Now he's in a big spot. He's in, he's an early enrollee. There's nothing expected of him in terms of playing right away. I think he's got some changes physically to make. Um, and it's, a, I think it's a pretty good spot for a young guy to be, and it's going to be hard for him, but. And he strikes me very much as a guy who's going to take five years to develop. But he's also, like, he's six, what is he, six nine, six eight. He's six eight, three hundred and fifty five pounds, according to his recruiting profile. And he's fairly athletic for that size. Like, the thing I wrote about him, like, everybody wrote about him, was like, he's that big and he can do a full split. And, like, he was a pretty good wrestler. And he's a decent basketball player. Like, I don't think, I think the Juan Jones, who's a similar size, is probably a little bit better of an athlete. But Trey LaRue, I think, is something similar to that. And DeJuan Jones, like, showed up, and I think he's going to be in the two deep as a sophomore and played as a freshman. Um, I don't think – I think Trey LaRue needs more time than that. Um, I think, one, he just needs to learn some more football and then and then develop a little bit physically. But if he sticks with it, and, and this is the reason you recruit these guys, uh, I think he, he is, like, the textbook – Wait around, and then four years down the road, he is in a he's in contention to be a starter, or at the very least, he is like a valuable piece of your depth. And and guys like that are important, even if it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that when they're freshmen. Right, and people from Ohio might have a better temperament for understanding that and being willing to do that than other players. So there is some value in that. Um, but like, it's just kind of like the Gavin Cup model, right? Mm-hmm. where you, you come in and you're taken as a three-star prospect. You might not be rated as highly as some of your other guys. You're in the program. You learn the, the playbook for four years, three years, um, and then you're competing for a starting job in your final year. Now, I don't think Gavin Cup is going to make um, the starting ro- uh, lineup this year, as we mentioned, with the offensive line. Um, but I do think that it's possible that, given he can play multiple positions on the offensive line, that he might be one of the more critical backups um, for Ohio State in terms of just like versatility um, in case there's an injury through the stretch of the season and he could be somebody that would be a capable player for playing if they needed him to. Um, but 
the thing that was the most different with Trey is that he got offered in, in March of 2009, or I mean committed in March of 2019. So, like, this was like a, a guy that they didn't wait on and didn't take late because they needed a position player. This is somebody that they recruited early and took early. Um, and that's that's the most um, atypical thing about this whole thing. Um, every single year under Urban Meyer, there, there were guys where you go, well, this guy might not have gotten an offer. But a lot of times, some of these guys do because late in the process, if they miss on a five-star offensive lineman from San Diego or wherever they're from or uh, Miami, then they end up with these guys that want to be in the program, and they flip them. So I don't know if they saw something. Maybe they saw something in him. Maybe his size was just too much to pass up. I agree with you that he he might not be here if Urban were still the head coach, but I know one thing for sure. If Urban were the head coach, he never got, would have been offered that early. Um, they probably would have wanted to see the changes that you were talking about in his body, um, those physical changes early on before earning a scholarship offer rather than you know, giving him one and having him change it. So like my immediate prediction for what he is is a developmental guy, and my prediction for what he is long-term is maybe a starter in his fifth year, senior year, um, and maybe never starting at all. But, you know, as things go, sometimes people prove you wrong, man. And all, all you can go and, and go by is, is who they're consistently bringing into the program, the athletic ability of those players that they're bringing into the program and compare it to, you know, his athletic ability. And right now I just don't see it. Guys have, who have been ranked low like this have panned out. Like Brandon Bowen was, I think, ranked like in the 500s. Um, Pat Elfline, I think, was in the 800s. Like, you know, maybe they're exceptions and not the rule. Um, Trey LaRue is just lower than than even those guys were. And part of it's that I don't think he really put himself out there for camps and all that stuff. But I agree with you. I think I think the only realistic long-term goal you can have for him or prediction you can have for him right now is like, let's wait and see in four years if, if he's ready to be uh, – a start because the other thing about it is too like they're not going to stop recruiting well on the offensive line, um, and they're already off to a pretty good start in the class um, behind this one. So there's going to be an uphill battle, I think, for him to become a starter. But there is, like I said, there's always value in being a guy like a, a Gavin Cup um, or a guy like Josh Allaby, who never was a full time starter but became very important in stretches for Ohio State over the last two years of his career. Yeah. Um, and just temperament is important. The ability to understand your role and, and play it, you know, and like you and even Doug back in the days of Buckeye talk, when we were all three of us were together, we're always very big on like roster building and the need for these guys. Cause you don't want to have 15, five-star offensive linemen. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but personalities and meshing doesn't, um, play a huge role in team chemistry and like the idea of guys, still being completely brought in leaders in the locker room and all the stuff that you want in terms of intangibles, even though they're not starting, I think is, is, is a crucial thing to have. So, you know, program guys, I guess are a fit. Um, especially if you have a few of them, I think if you have too many program guys, that means your team's not as good. Um, but I, I understand that this guy could have a, a pretty good place on Ohio state's roster. If he sticks with it now to the fun part, quarterback do you have a drum no we skipped luke we skipped luke whippler oh luke whippler i'm sorry i'm sorry i don't know why it wasn't on my list uh whippler we can go through we're uh well we are uh (laughs) we need we need to speed through these or we're gonna set a new record for four to six a to b i put whippler behind the quarterback so go ahead whippler uh whippler is uh i think eventually going to be a starting center here i think he's gonna be very good you talk to him and you feel like you're talking to uh baby billy price which is uh, mostly a compliment because Billy Price was a man who had his shit together and was very sure of himself. 
Um, but he talked a lot. And uh, Luke's not going to get on the field, obviously, with uh, Josh Myers here this year and Harry Miller here this year. But I could see a scenario where Luke is probably maybe on paper the number two center, but in reality maybe the number three center, emergency style. Uh, plays there some as a backup. Next year could be a starting guard. Two years down the road is back over to starting center after, you know, presumably Harry Miller might move on after three years to the NFL. So I think he's definitely a starter. It's just a matter of the shuffling of pieces, but I like him a lot. He seems very mature. He's in the business school. He's a smart kid. Um, I think he's got that really good blend that you like of of sharp kid, smart kid, is very self-aware, but when you get him on the field, has a nice mean streak to him too. So I like I like really the whole package with Luke Whipler, and I think he he will be a starter here, no doubt about it. Uh, maybe as soon as next year. Is that his new nickname, Baby Billy? Baby Billy. <laughs> Baby, from, uh, Baby Billy is the guy from uh, Righteous Gemstones, right? That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> He's calling Baby Billy Price. Like, is this Baby Billy Freeman? <laughs> I'm gonna start calling him Baby Billy. See if it sticks. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Ranking. Um, was the number one center in the country for some time, finished number two center in the country, certainly in place to, um, you know, get shuffled around a little bit. And I think what's interesting is, is like when you draft or you uh, recruit these guys and, you know, you have the number one center in the country in Harry Miller, and then Harry Miller starting off at guard, then he gets flipped over to center, and then you start him off at guard. And I wonder, like, if the interior offensive line, it's going to continue to be like the snake of, like, playing all the different positions, which I think is great. You know, the versatility is obviously huge for Ohio State, and, you know, I think center might just turn into guard first just based on the way that things are going because now the next center that they recruit or the next interior offensive lineman they recruit is going to have to wait um, a year or two while Whipler is the starting center. But I think, like, the next five years is a combination of um, Harry Miller and Whipler at that center position. Okay, now quarterback? Now quarterback. Uh, C.J. Stroud. That's your guy. You went, you went and visited him in California. You you know you know both these guys like as people a little better than I do. So yeah, well, we we them? we've talked about the quarterback position, um, the backup quarterback position at nauseum. I think um, on previous podcasts, obviously, it's the number one position battle right now to track because the transfer portal has made it so much fun and so much. Um, there's put just so much emphasis on who's going to stay. Um, and you and I have had some disagreements on how long that they're going to stay um, and whether or not they're both going to be on the roster in 2021 uh, in the fall. Um, but, like, they're both just from very different places, very different backgrounds, and they both are very good football players. Um, Jack Miller's had more injury. Can I just combine them just for the sake of time, too? Yeah, um, I think Jack, that makes sense. J- Jack Miller has had some injury issues in high school. And, um, you know, was kind of committed to Ohio State early on. And C.J. Stroud didn't really storm onto the scenes till late in his high school career once he started getting involved in some of the camps and stuff during the summer leading into his senior year. So um, I think Ohio State really likes both of them. I think both of them are probably under a tremendous amount of pressure to perform immediately starting, like, next week when they get back here. Um, and everything there is to say about these guys is, um, you know, who's going to win? It's like a fight to the death. And like predicting one week into their uh, spring first spring practice at Ohio State, who's going to win that job is kind of uh, I don't know, seems kind of stupid. So I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is that for my prediction is that both of them are going to play quite a bit in 2020. Um, I think that the plan will be to not name a backup quarterback if things go perfectly for Ryan Day. 
uh, get Justin Fields out of the games uh, that Ohio State's winning by 100 uh, faster and let both of these guys get second-half series against uh, other teams that they're getting that they're blowing out and just to get some experience. Um, and then my prediction uh, long-term is that one will be a two-year starter at Ohio State and one will leave um, literally one year from May. I think after next spring, they will demand an idea going into the fall of who's leading the way or who won the job, and then the person who doesn't win it will leave. Because that's college football in 2021, and that's what I would do if I were in their position. Any uh, objections to those things? No, I guess like I, I guess my bold prediction will be that they'll both be on the roster in the fall of 2021. But like every time I say that, I believe that less and less. Um, it doesn't make any sense, Bill. No, I know, I know. Uh, I think I think your projection is is probably exactly what's going to happen, um, especially in a world where the transfer rule changes and it should be changed by them. Um, I went to the first spring practice, like hoping to watch both of them and like hoping that something would jump out of me to show me like, well, that guy's got a little more than that guy. And like, it didn't happen. They can both spin it really well. Um, there were a couple plays where each of them got their run out of the pocket and show their athleticism a little bit. I thought they both looked very comfortable doing that. I think long-term I'm, I'm a little higher on Stroud, uh, because I think he's got a little more athlete to him and, Maybe is maybe if he's not as polished as Jack Miller might be at the moment as a passer, I think he can become that. So um, I'll say that I don't mind saying it's not based off anything. It's just what I thought beforehand. It's not based off anything I've seen so far. But like I think Stroud will be the one that ends up starting here. Well, I do think too, Bill, that you can read into recruiting behavioral patterns, and I do think that based on the way that Ohio State ended up recruiting Stroud, how much of a um, priority they made him you know I understand that they needed the numbers but it just kind of seemed like the way that Ohio State went about that it, it, they love him like this isn't just a guy that they brought in to to make sure they had enough quarterbacks in their room this is a guy that they brought in because they thought he could be a starter and to do that so balls to the wall when you had a guy like Jack Miller I think you might not have done that had you known for sure that Jack Miller was your, your franchise long-term. You might not have wanted to ruffle the feathers or rock the boat or whatever other cliche you can come up with. And the fact that they did it without any regard, I think, gives you a key into the idea of what they feel about CJ. So, like, right now, if if I had to pick, and again, this is based off of nothing other than just trying to read the tea leaves, I think CJ Stroud might win the job. But, like, I do think it's interesting that, like, Jack Miller ran more in high school than CJ Stroud did. Like, CJ Stroud is a true pro-style quarterback. I'm not saying he can't run and he he's going to want to run to extend plays and all the stuff that we always talk about, but, like, Jack Miller was actually more of a runner. So, like, I don't know in terms of out-athlete. I don't know if I agree with that completely. Um, but, again, I just think that based on the way Ohio State recruited him, that that was a, that was a tell. Capiche? Stay tuned for uh, fall of 2020. I mean, well, no, it's, it'll be here before yeah. you know it. Next fall, yeah. 2021. We'll already be, I'm already uh, booking travel for the bowl game next year. Rose Bowl. Fiesta. Okay. Uh, defensive line now. Uh, why don't we do Jacoby Cowan first? You went down to Charlotte and spent some time with him. And I think the number one glaring um, omission from this year's class is there isn't a five-star defensive end. Um, but Cowan is, I think, the highest rated one, right? Or is, is, is Darian Henry rated higher than him? He, I thought he was. 
thought Cowan was. Cowan was uh, Henry's one fifty three overall, and Cowan is one sixty two overall. So they're okay. So very similar. The same, but but yeah, you had a similar. conversation with Cowan. I thought was really interesting. You wrote a story about it. Why don't you start with Cowan? He's wanted to be like he came here thinking he was going to be a defensive end, and if you look at him. He looks like he should be a defensive end. He's very long, but he's also got like a he's got a big frame, and he's going to be like an interesting study, I think, because he'll be. He, how tall is he right now? He's six four. He's listed at six four two seventy five. Now I was talking to someone at, at the first spring practice, it's, and if you looked at Cowan, you could tell. And the same is true with with Darian Henry. Both those guys dropped weight when they got here, like significantly, like 20, 30 pounds. I'm talking about. So at the moment, Jacoby Cowan's six four, probably. 255, 260, 260 ish. He's not the 275 that he's listed as. But if you look at him, like he looks like he's going to become 300 pounds or closer to 300 pounds than he is going to be to, to, to 250. It just has that kind of frame. But he's also, he's very long in a way that you don't typically see defensive linemen or defensive tackles with that kind of build. So it's kind of hard to figure out where he fits in. But the first spring practice, he was at end, Henry was at end. They're both going to get their opportunity to play there. Um, I don't think either one's going to get on the field very much at that position as freshman. There's not a, a clear path really at any of the defensive line spots, I think, for a freshman to play in any sort of meaningful way, unless one of these guys just comes out and sets the run on fire, which I'm not really on alert for. But if Jacoby Callen is this like long athlete, he's a basketball player, um, he's 6'4", he's got uh, very long arms, and if he's going to be to, to get to like 280, 290, I could see him being like a, a a lesser version of like a Draymond Jones or an Adolphus Washington, um, who a guy who may never be like the front of the line starter on the defensive line. Like this, this guy's he's the man. He's starting for us, but I think he will be a very valued rotational interior pass rusher for Ohio State. And I think like the more you, you can never have too many guys who can rush from the interior. And that's how I view Jacoby Callum. And how does he view himself, though? Because I thought that was interesting. I think he views himself more as an outside pass rusher. But when I spoke with him in, down in Charlotte a couple months ago before he got up here, um, it wasn't like, I'm playing outside or I'm going to go find somewhere that will let me play outside. I think he's a little more pragmatic than that. I think he realizes sort of his frame and what he could grow into. And he did play some interior in high school. Um, he was a starting defensive end for his high school team that was very good and won a state championship. And he was on a defensive line with another kid uh, who signed with North Carolina, I believe. And they would move Jacoby inside. So it's not like oh, if he did do that, Ohio State would be asking him to do something he's never done before. And I think Larry Johnson's got a really good way of laying out for guys like, listen, you might think you're this thing. I think you're this thing. I know what I'm talking about. And here's what you can become if you listen to me. And I think that will ultimately win out. So I, I would expect that Cowan over time becomes more of a three technique interior pass rusher than he is a, a outside defensive end pass rusher. That's the analysis you can't get anywhere else. Um, okay. Why don't you do Darian Henry too while you're on a roll? It's, it's a lot of the same thing, but I, I think uh, Henry looked – both these guys dropped weight. Like Henry's I thought was way more noticeable than Jacoby Cowan's. Henry's not quite as big. Uh, he is – well, he's also listed at 6'4". He doesn't look as big. He doesn't look as long. He's a little more squatty. That's probably not the right way to describe it than Cowan. Um, but he's got to be maybe 250, 240 at the moment. 
he looked very, very thin for a guy who's who was projected to play defensive tackle when they signed him out of Cincinnati Princeton. Uh, my long-term goal for him would be that he actually sticks on outside. Um, I think everybody thought when they signed him that he was going to be high school defensive end, move inside, be like Draymond, and become that kind of guy. I think just looking at him on Monday and kind of projecting like what he might look like two or three years on the road, I don't know if he's going to be big enough to play inside. So my prediction will be that he stays outside. I feel like your future is at coaching. Yeah, I don't know. I'm he's just so tactical. So tactical with body type, and you know he's got his binoculars, and you know you're always. I, I think it's interesting what you think. I'm going to do Legend Cavazos now. So last summer I went down to Miami and um, was doing some recruiting stuff for the Ohio State beat, and went to the opening regional in Miami, and like I. Th- watched him uh compete and like i just think he's like a freak athlete who's super fast and like i know he's listed as a safety um but i do think that he and his father who is very um involved in the recruiting process with him view him as a corner now i think he's more of a raw athlete at this point he played at img so hopefully he got the coaching that you get at a place like that and you know developed a lot quite um Developed quite well in the senior year to the cornerback position, but I do think that for somebody who's rated as high as he is, that he might be a developmental guy. Um, I don't know that he's going to play much freshman year. Um, do you agree with that? I think he'll play on special teams. I think he's like one of these guys who is like a kind of a freaky athlete, like you said, but like maybe not a, and this will sound bad, but like not a football player yet. And, um, I think he will become one over time. Not to say he doesn't love football. It's just like you got to develop those skills. And when you're in high school, you can get away kind of with just being an athlete. I think he will become a very good defensive back. I think he could play literally anywhere in the secondary. If he, if he ended up outside nickel, deep safety, like I wouldn't be surprised by any of it because I think he has uh, that speed and athleticism to play in any of those spots and the size. Um, but I don't. I'm not on alert for him to play very much as a freshman, other than on on special teams. But you look at his like. A, I don't know ever know how much stock to put in the testing numbers from the opening. Um, but it is the opening. It's not like Legend Cavazos has typed them in himself. Like he ran a four four forty, and his vertical jump was like forty one inches. It's pretty good. And like every it's really good opening or every camp that he competed in, like I think he won the best overall athlete in terms of the measurables and the testing. So like I think when you when you say that learning how to be a football player um, makes a lot of sense. But I also think, too, that it's just possible that a, a place like Ohio State and all the other places that offered him just cannot not have that athlete on their team. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, that's the way I view it. I, I know that Ohio State's in a position right now where they um, needed some defensive backs to come into the program and, and, and spell some of the loss that they have. But I do think that... Sean Wade coming back and playing one of the outside cornerback positions really like gave some Ohio State some leeway in terms of the development of these guys. And I just think he's more of a developmental guy. Um, like you said, special teams, get the athlete on the field, let him run, let him make some plays, let him feel engaged. But in terms of him playing corner freshman year, I don't I don't really see that in the cards. Um, Court Williams um, is the next one. Um, he is the bullet, but is the bullet does the bullet exist? <laughs> the bullet exists. Yeah. It's such a confusing thing. The idea of the bullet, I don't think, is totally dead. It's just that Pete Werner ended up doing it all last year. We've said that a million times. I think they recruited Court Williams with the idea that he was going to be that kind of guy. Now, 
I don't know if he's going to be that this year. One, because they're really deep at linebacker. I think Pete Werner can do that stuff. I think Kevon Pope can do that stuff. Byron Browning said he was doing it. We didn't see him do it, but he said he was playing some of those positions. Um, I, 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 I don't know. If he does play there, that'd be kind of crazy. But I just don't know if there's an opening there for Court Williams to be that right away. So when we went out on the first practice on that Monday, Court was playing second-team free safety because Josh Proctor wasn't practicing. So I guess that's where he's starting. I, I don't particularly think he'll be there long-term, um, although he said he would like to start there. He thinks he has the skill set to play there. He doesn't look like a free safety, but I think he can still move like one. And, but ultimately, I think he is going to be—he's going to come down and be that sort of hybrid safety linebacker guy. Um, it's just at the moment they don't need him there, and it's probably on some level beneficial for him to start off playing free safety against these caliber of players because that's probably the thing that it comes least naturally to him. Yeah, even covering, he's a really right? good athlete. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's probably good for him to start there and then eventually come down into the box where I think he's probably a little more comfortable. But I think he's their starting. Bullet, Sam, whatever. Um, maybe, maybe next year. Maybe next year because Pete Werner will be gone. It depends on like what Kevon Pope shows he might be. Uh, I think that I'll, I'll go. Bold, I'll, I'll go somewhat bold with that. I guess and say like he's their starting, whatever you want to call that position in twenty twenty one. I don't know what I want to call that position. Hybrid. Hybrid Sam Bull. Yeah, whatever. I, th- I think the media has uh, decided to. Uh completely um, go against the usage of the name Bullet. Call him a Viper. That's the Michigan name. I'll call him a Viper. Okay. Um, And then Ryan Watts, uh, former Oklahoma commit, um, I think was really um, convinced, excuse me, that the uh, Ohio State was the best place for him after he committed to Oklahoma um, because of the coaching that he had in place. But when Jeff Halfley went to Boston college, um, (laughs) I thought that he was going to be one of the flip guys. Cause I thought that that was like somebody that, um, really was convinced by this. And then of course the idea that, that he still signed, I think he saw what Ohio state has done and put in place at the cornerback position. And he, he found a place that he could develop and, you know, pulling him, you know, he's listed as a safety and, um, the same way legend Cavazos is, but I think he views himself as a corner. Um, but I think he is a lot like Legend Cavazos in the sense that he's got a lot of developmental things that he needs to um, work on and, and get his body right and all the things that need to happen once you get to the college level um, before a freshman is going to really be in that mix. And like Harry Combs is really big on the idea of developmental um, discussions and putting people in a position to succeed before they get on. And, and, and that's even in a world where he likes to rotate guys. So um, I honestly don't know that any of the three freshman defensive backs are going to have a huge def- role in the defensive backfield this year. Maybe they'll play a little um, in blowout situations, but for somebody who wrote the story last year that Ohio State needs four or five game-ready um, defensive backs, like I just don't know that that manifested. Sean Wade coming back, I think, changed a lot, and I, I think people feel a little more comfortable with uh, Seven Banks and Cam Brown, maybe, than they probably did back back at that point when he wrote that story. So I think that picture has changed a little bit. Um, Cavazos and Watts were both working at outside corner at the first spring practice. I think, and Kerry Combs, I, I believe, might have said when we talked to him a couple weeks ago, said like that's where you start, even if you think you might be something else. 
yeah, will start you outside. So that's where they're at. Like Watts is, uh, like his physicality was apparent right away. He's very, he's tall. He's very tall for a corner. He's six three, um, and he looks different than everybody else out there. And like when you see a guy who just looks different than everyone else in this position group, you get a little on alert, uh, put on alert by that because you just sort of project a little bit what he could become. But I agree with you. I don't think there's there's much of an opening, barring injury, for any of these young guys to get on the field. Um, maybe even, in, perhaps in the two deep, but you also have, like, Marcus Williamson is working in the slot. You have, you know, if Tyreek Johnson can, can up his game a little bit, like, there there is potentially some depth there, too, behind the three guys I think we all assume are going to be the starters. So, but that doesn't preclude, preclude you as a young guy for being important on special teams. So I think that's the path for all these secondary guys. Well, now that we've gotten to the end of the list, I, I will say that this is probably the most impressive collection of early enrollees I've ever seen. Really good. I mean, to have 14 guys that are all, you know, for the most part ranked at the at the top of their position groups, three five-star guys that are in in the program already. I mean, like, I, I don't know that – what's the average? You, If you had to guess off the top of your head, the average would probably be like seven or eight per year at the most. So to get like 14 guys in, it's basically an entire class for some people – I'm in for an entire extra fall camp session, basically, where you're developing and, and getting ready for, I mean, like that, to me, is going to make Ohio State a much better football team in 2020. Yeah, and 2021, too, because you won't have, you'll have guys stepping up in 2021 who aren't as green as they would be otherwise, because they'll have, they'll be, when they when they get into the spring where they're really fighting for, for starting jobs, they'll have been here for a year, a full year. Right. Cool. Well, this got out of hand in terms of length because I think we, we veered off a little bit on North Carolina and the cookout stuff, yeah. which is more important than um, Ohio State's actual football team. Um, for more food takes, just email us. Um, but for now, at an hour and 11 minutes, I think we're going to let you guys go. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of 4 to 6 with A&B. That was Bill Landis. I'm Ari Wasserman. We'll catch you next week.